Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. Ace Podcast. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, Black Panther is here and we share our thoughts on the first AAA blockbuster of the movie year. Is going back to Jurassic Park a good thing? Plus we talk NBA trade deadline, who looks good this year in NASCAR, and is Kingdom Come Deliverance a game worth playing? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glasser from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. He is back in the saddle once again. It is the man behind Humanica Media. You got to check out all their great stuff today on humanicamedia.com. Is Josh Peterson. What's going on, my friend? Hey, hey, hey. I'm just, uh, I got a notification here on my computer. It said my hard drive is full. I went to say, well, what's it full with? It's all just Pop Culture Cosmos episodes. So I love the show <laughs> so much. I like to listen to it at least four or five times, which involves downloading it one time for each listen. Yes, yes, indeed. And I tell you what, if you get a chance, subscribe to one of our channels, whether it's on Podchaser Apple Podcasts, or one of the numerous downloadable options that's out there, or check us out seven days a week, and I'll be giving you the latest on that at the end of this segment in regards to where you can catch us. I want to also give a big thank you to Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. Appreciate you stepping in for us at the last minute for Mr. Josh, who I don't know, he still didn't tell me whether or not he was searching for gold, you know, looking for buried treasure or whatever he was doing last weekend. But El Dorado, actually. I was looking for El Dorado. There um, you go. There you go. El Dorado indeed, just like Nathan Drake. But I'll tell you what, it's a great thing to have him back here. We've got a great episode. We're going to be talking some Black Panther. Josh has seen it, and he's going to share his thoughts. Also as well, we've got Rob McCallum in the Cosmic Crossfire. He's going to be talking some Jurassic Park and also as well some Cloverfield Paradox. We've got Anthony Barbarin. He is our NBA man in the know. He's going to be talking what happened at the NBA trade deadline. That was really big. And plus also as well, we've got Marcus De La Garza from Tripod Sports. you got to give their show a listen on iHeartRadio and Apple Podcasts. He is by to talk NASCAR. The NASCAR season is here, and he's going to give us the lowdown on who to look out for 
this NASCAR season. And of course, we will be back later to share our thoughts on the latest the latest video game to come out, Kingdom Come Deliverance. I know with Super BS Gamescast, they had a conversation with some of the guys at the studio for Kingdom Come Deliverance. He's going to share his thoughts on the games and what they were saying as far as how good this game can be. But Josh, you actually saw Black Panther. You have some thoughts on it. It is the biggest movie of the year so far. Josh, what are your thoughts on this year's first really big, big, big superhero hit in Black Panther? Let me start off by talking about the things I loved about it, okay? Cinematography, fantastic. The coloring, really good. Editing, good. Acting, good. And Andy Serkis, okay? Those are the five things that made that movie fantastic. All right, now we'll get into the, uh, get beneath the crust a little bit, you know? fidget around with the uh the inner workings of the movie here i <laughs> well hold on hold on this is going to lead into spoilers so if you really don't want spoilers even some slight spoilers around better just tune out for about five eh, seven minutes or so and then we'll check back in with us but there is going to be some spoilers coming around all right so black panther i don't know with with all the hype i was expecting like this just revolutionary superhero movie it wasn't a revolutionary movie. It was the tried and true Marvel formula. And it wasn't a bad movie. I actually really enjoyed it. It was a fun movie to sit through. I guess a lot of the hype is going around that it's, you know, it's a big like social piece. And yeah, it it has a good social message. It's not like really obnoxious about the way they deliver it, which is why a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to boycott this movie. Don't boycott the movie. Go see it. It's fun to watch. It's got a lot. So basically... You know, in Wakanda, we we remember we left off in Civil War with the the dad getting assassinated allegedly by Bucky Barnes, and in in the Civil War, they Wakanda to the rest of the world was just a uh, is a third world country. But you find out in this movie that they've been like hiding their technology. Uh, you know, they're a super advanced civilization. They've just been hiding to so that their weapons don't get around uh, to the rest of the world. And so that's where the movie comes. You know, I don't I don't want to go into the story, but without like. It's going to take me a long time because I'm going to go off on a rant about it, uh, a good rant. But um, yeah, so basically the the movie is the story revolves around them trying to keep their weapons from reaching the rest of the world. So Michael B. Jordan, obviously from the trailers, he's the villain. He's playing Eric Killmonger. Is that correct? Eric Killmonger. Yeah. So all the characters from the comic books are there, which is nice. And it was very true to the comics. A lot of like and it, it had a lot of. Um, a lot of detail that you wouldn't have gotten, uh, you know, that you don't get from like the Ultimate Avengers cartoon and stuff that that used to be on, uh, you know, was out on DVD a while back. So it's very well done. I still have Winter Soldier up on the pinnacle of Marvel movies, but no, it's a very well done movie. It was fun. It has a lot of fighting, so that was my big thing. You know, I read that the we were talking about, uh, you know, early reviews, and my big concern was that it, you know, is going to be too preachy and not enough like marvel but no it, it delivered on all fronts well that's awesome to hear and i know you were talking about the imagery of wakanda and the cinematography and the coloring and all that tell us a little bit more about that and why to you the effects and also the coloring and the imagery were so good to you and made it such a standout in the mcu looking back a lot of the um the MCU movies, the the surroundings, the imagery, it's really dark or it's not dark, but it's more like visceral, I guess. Like it, it seems 
more grounded in real life. Whereas this one, they kind of had the opportunity because Wakanda was a, is not a real place. They had the opportunity to kind of play around with things and show us something that, that we haven't seen. Like even, you know, South, the South Korea seems to be a, a popular place to film Marvel movies, but like even those scenes, like the, the way the, the night lights came out and they had this big old car chase through South Korea when they were chasing claw around and they just went to a lot of places that gave them an opportunity to really bring out the character and the culture and what he thrives in. And that was really cool to see. And it was cool to see that the, um, you know, the way that they brought the technology to life with the, uh, um, you know, the, the camouflage and all that stuff and the, the way that they're, they're mining the vibranium from the earth and how they have this uh, like big trains carrying around. You get to see like the inner workings of the mountain and all that. And like how the, the Black Panther suit is kind of like Tony Stark's suit in the new Infinity War trailer, how it's made of nanites that come out of a necklace and it covers. And that's really cool. It, there's just, there's so many really cool things about this movie that, and I am, you know, I was hesitant to go, to go see it, but like, I'm really glad that I sat through it. Best part of all, stay till the last after credit scene. There's a certain character from Civil War that we all know and love, and they showed what happened to him. Because while all this stuff is going on in Wakanda, you're like, what happened to this character? But they show what happened to him in the end, and it's actually uh, it's pretty satisfying. Uh, that's great to hear. And that's great that you still say that it's a very, very good movie, and that it's a very excellent part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, let me ask you this. Is this movie a good lead-in for Infinity War? Do you think it does enough to bring some interest for that movie? Or do you think it's a movie that's just trying to do the best it can to serve its own movie without trying to go ahead and really feed into something else? No, I think it's it's trying to be a bit of both. They wouldn't have showed us those Wakanda scenes in the trailer for Infinity War if they weren't trying to like create that setting first before having us jump into that. And they wouldn't have done the end credit scene if they hadn't had planned on having some kind of bridge between this and the next one. I think they were just trying to lay the groundwork for the big battle you see that's going to be taking place in Wakanda. It's great to see now that Black Panther is going to do really, really big numbers at the box office. And it sends a message to everybody in Hollywood that the traditional heroes of the past are going to go by the wayside and going forward that we're going to be able to see a lot more diversity and we're all the better for it. What are your thoughts on Black Panther? Are you excited to see it? Have you already seen it already? And, and do you like it? Do you not like it? We want to hear your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. Just want to give you a heads up. If you need to catch any of our shows on the PopCultureCosmos network, you can go ahead and listen to us on internet radio Seven days a week we're streaming. Sundays we're on Good Talk Radio. Mondays we're on the Podcast Radio Network, Croc Radio, and Gray Cloud Radio. Tuesdays it's Western Reserve Digital Broadcasting. Wednesdays we're back on Gray Cloud Radio. Thursdays we're on Western Reserve Digital Broadcasting. Friday we're on Croc Radio, the Podcast Radio Network, Gray Cloud Radio, and Western Reserve Digital Broadcasting. And Saturday we followed up with another airing on the Gray Cloud Radio Network. Or you can subscribe, like I said earlier, and download our shows at any point in time on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, the Tangibound Network, the Gunning Geek Network, the ESO Network, Google Play, Mixcloud, Stitcher, and a whole bunch more. But Josh, 
you've got a great thing going on with Humanica Media. So tell us what's going on with your great show, Attack of the Humanicans, on, on YouTube, Podbean, and Tuesday night on the Podcast Radio Network. So we have a new episode of Super BS that actually just went live a few minutes ago, and you can download that right now. New Topic Ocalypse went up last night, and we'll have another new episode coming at you on Sunday night. Also, there's a new episode of What About This you can check out, and that one revolves around this crazy theory that the best basketball player on earth has never even picked up a basketball. So it's a pretty interesting episode. And also, you can catch us every Tuesday night on the podcast radio network. You know, I'm sure there's going to be more exciting stuff in the future. Just trying to catch up with life. You know, <laughs> I hear you on that one. That's that's awesome. Again, once again, Humanica Media on YouTube, Podbean, and Apple Podcasts. So we got a great show for you today. It's going to be a lot of great stuff we're going to talk about. Like I said, after the break, we've got Rob McCallum coming up in the Cosmic Crossfire. Also as well, we've got Anthony Barberin, our man in the know when it comes to the NBA. He's going to be talking some NBA trade deadline. And also as well, we've got later on Marcus De La Garza from Tripod Sports. He's going to be stopping by to talk some NASCAR and who he likes for the NASCAR season. But first... We've got our good friend, Warren Fernandez. He's got a great album you got to check out. It's Emoji Engine on Bandcamp. This is Palo Alto, and this is the PCC Multiverse.
Thanks for checking out the PCC. You know, the Pop Culture Cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. Okay, let's talk about the Flopcast. Where every week we drink a lot of coffee and we talk about comic books, movies, conventions, music, Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, don't forget the coffee. Lots of weird, obscure pop culture stuff from the 70s and 80s. And chickens. Yeah, chickens. This will be the stupidest half hour of your week. We guarantee it. You can find us on the ESO Network. And flopcast.net And we're back. I'll tell you what, it's just great to have you back listening to us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford with Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. And of course, it's that time again for another great edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. And who else would be here with me? He is the brand new daddy of robmccallumfilms.com. You got to check out all of his great stuff that's out there today, including the Kitty documentary coming up on March 30. You also got to check out Backed and Busted Crowdfunding. It's Rob McCallum. So pray tell, Rob, what's on your mind when it comes to pop culture? One film that I've been dying for a second glimpse at since we talked about it back in November or December, and I know you're already cringing over there, maybe not, is Jurassic World. We got a second look at the the next installment, Jurassic World Evolution, and related to that, we're starting to get a lot of media pickup for all the tie-in merchandise, specifically the video game that's coming out. That is almost like a theme park simulator set in the Jurassic World universe, which, okay, come on, regardless of your feelings on the films that sounds like a lot of fun for anybody that likes simulation games am i right yeah if you're into railroad tycoon or sim city or, or tropico definitely anything of that nature i think it'd probably be something that's very fun to be able to go ahead and try and build see it work and then see it fall <laughs> apart in all of that you know 30 minute time span and of course we had the xbox uh, entry operation genesis which allowed you to do that but we haven't had anything since then and genesis uh, came out on the piggybacks of uh, jurassic park 3 uh, so it was quite a while ago we're talking like 15 years I, I think since since that game came out so it's really nice to see that it's coming out and it's going to be on all consoles and steam you know i'm going to pick this one up but let's get right to the trailer what what i first noticed this is a full-on monster movie horror fest in the best way every shot that they showed was like just full of scares and, and screams. I loved it. And we really got away from the volcano stuff that I think everybody thought this film was going to be. Let's go to the island and save the dinosaurs who can't save themselves and see what happens. It looks like that's almost the end of Act 1, according to what we see, or at least halfway through, where they get there and they get off the island to some degree. But then what happens? Is it a lost world kind of thing where... The dinosaurs get loose in San Diego, and there's a rogue one kind of out there that seems to be this weird raptor hybrid. Again, another new monster, which is always a great device for the Jurassic Park franchise. But the, the director, who, I, again, I'm blanking on, I want to say his last name is like Bayonetta or something. Uh, I think it's like J.A. Bayonetta or something. Uh, he, is, he has fully said that, you know, I really want to emphasize the horror elements in Jurassic uh, World Evolution. The, they were the best 
stuff in the original because that movie is super scary and the original works because it does combine the adventure the fantasy the science and then of course the screams so he was bringing back the horror to it whereas in jurassic world one was all about the wonder and the awe and of course things going wrong but now it seems like things are going wrong and getting super uh scary and go worse so i love it i'm excited and i think it allows people to say yeah this is a monster movie let's have fun with it as a monster movie well, director Juan Antonio Bayona looks like he has captured that essence. And I've told you in the past, I think Steven Spielberg is one of the greatest horror directors of all time, but people don't seem to uh, really catch on to that. But he cleverly disguises a lot of his films within that horror genre. So uh, I think this not only takes that, but carries it up a notch and uh, i i didn't really like the jurassic park movie from 2016 it really didn't hold with me is it 2016 or 2015 i don't know one. gerald you lost me when you said you didn't like it i didn't like it as much i i didn't uh, again i i just hear kind of static and squabbles at this point oh hush Anyways, um, so I wasn't really a big fan of it, but I'm hoping that this will actually put the Jurassic Park series in a better direction. But then again, I can't argue with the success that it's had with the previous outing doing over $1.6 billion. So uh, how can you argue with something like that? So even if it doesn't meet up to expectations, you still have like a Star Wars The Last Jedi scenario where you're still making, what, $1.2, $1.3 billion. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't see this film not doing well even i i don't know what the budget is i'm gonna guess probably two to three hundred million as normal advertising 600 million this will do 900 million if it doesn't cross the, the billion dollar and that's not taken into account home video and all the tertiary uh, windows like svod and itunes and all that that this will you know become profitable and do well and i, I imagine they have plans to basically at least do a trilogy but this being the second entry i guess the question i have is is if the first one was all about the wonder and fantasy and this one is all about the horror, is the third one going to be about something else? Are we going to basically do a Fast and the Furious and try to revitalize the franchise by going after different genres and blending them together in the same way that Marvel took a superhero film and made it about a comedy vehicle for Guardians of the Galaxy? And, of course, we got a similar vibe for Thor Ragnarok. It is a different twist on everything that's out there. So when Fast Five came out, it wasn't just about racing and who's got the best tires and I don't know, I never watched any of them before that. But when they when it came out and became about a heist movie with people that drive souped up cars and that are awesome drivers, then people really said, wow, this is awesome because it isn't just the same thing for the fifth time. It's something completely new where everything is focused in that direction. So it'll be interesting to see if it goes that way. But also as well, the last one seemed to take a darker tone Charlize Theron's character seemed to take it into a darker realm as far as the Fast and Furious series is concerned. If you're talking about that that series as a whole, I've seen them all, but I'm just they're just wow. there, you know. Wow. And, and and I'm not a big fan of them. I just seen watched. like eight of them, and and you still just they're, when what, they show what have you done with your life? What have you I done? know exactly, exactly. They're they're all right to see, but it's just you know they're just popcorn flicks, and you forget about them as soon as you walked away from the television. So. But yeah, going back to Jurassic Park, I think that it still is going to put out some very strong numbers. I don't think they should expect $1.6 billion or even more. But if they do go over $1 billion, $1.1, even $1.2, I think they should be very satisfied with the performance of that film. 
and and like you said if it goes back to its horror roots then uh, all the better for it because it, it provides a a different mix especially seeing what i saw from the trailer and actually to me it seems more interesting than any other jurassic park before it'll be interesting to see how much jeff goldblum is in it it's probably just that one hearing scene as a nice little cameo since we didn't get any new footage of him in this and if this film will play front heavy like horror films do we talked about that on a previous episode as some films will do like 50 shades of hereafter or whatever in between what i forget the next one coming out but yeah horror the, movies all do the same thing you know it's always the first two weekends until they find out who the killer is and that kind of desaturates it it just doesn't have the legs jurassic world had the legs star wars typically has the legs because the the film can support you know that kind of longevity horror films don't do it so it'll be interesting to see if this is that front-ended and what the what the week-to-week drop is on, on box office receipts one film that we cannot look at box office receipts for because things got switched around without anybody knowing is Cloverfield Paradox. Now, this is part of the Cloverfield Omni-Universe thing. It drops out of nowhere on Netflix. The announcement is made during Super Bowl Sunday. They're trying to get people over to Netflix, which is really strange, right? Because it's usually coming up after the Super Bowl, two guys, a pizza joint, and a puppet from nowhere stay tuned for what's up my socks it's not a crust and then you know you get whatever show they're really trying to build up and plus usually like i i hit as, as a lead in cloverfield paradox drops out of nowhere on netflix and there it is and now critics are super divided on it and the, the film is you know being panned here and there it's really the oddest unified universe out there i'm surprised that the broadcasters allowed this to happen you know, something that Josh had said was that it was kind of something that it was there and I was impressed with the first one, but with the following steps, and I've talked about this with you before, it has not kept my interest as much. And I know you liked 10 Cloverfield Lane a lot more than I did, but he had actually even said that he didn't even feel that was like a, a Cloverfield film per se and that it should stand on its own so the cloverfield universe seems to get more broad with each entry and there's a cloverfield 4 that wrapped up shooting which is supposed to debut later this year still at this point in time as scheduled in theaters although as you and i both know and you and i both have seen that could change as well with 10 cloverfield lane and now god particle oh, sorry cloverfield paradox it's like the the small bits of that first film that they're latching onto in order to spin off another story that's you know tangibly related to just that one section so josh isn't wrong when he says it doesn't feel like a cloverfield film and you can make an argument that 10 cloverfield lane didn't have to have anything to do with cloverfield but let's think about this again let's take another step back this is jj abrams right this is the unknown we don't have all the answers and we're just getting all the, the little chunks of information it's a lot like lost where you start to put the pieces together after you see multiple entries and like Lost, and I've only saw, I think, three seasons of Lost, but you basically only get those breadcrumbs at the end or just something in the middle that's super small but advances that big overarching story to kind of put the pieces together for the audience. Now, Cloverfield, because the entries are coming out every year, every two years at this rate, doesn't have the accessibility that Lost had every week. So it's really hard to get that puzzle-solving conspiracy you know, netting uh, people or audience together to really make sense of it. So I, it'll be interesting to see if it gets ramped up, how much more everything will be unified, and if we'll actually get 
a proper prequel or sequel to the original film that strengthens these ancillary uh, entries that, that are out there. I don't mind that we're going to have a bunch of satellite things and that Cloverfield's in the title. I want a good film first and foremost. It, right now, it just feels like mashed potatoes. You know, it's just a lot of stuff that's going on. And, and even though there's some gravy on top with now a, a franchise brand, those potatoes can still be cold and no amount of gravy is going to make it better. So I want to see where this goes. Uh, it doesn't cost me anything for them to keep making movies. I'll watch Cloverfield Paradox. And I think Netflix could be a really interesting home if they continue to want to produce films and get into the, uh, the business of Cloverfield. Can Netflix put some more money behind it? and really amp it up so that it becomes a series, even if it's like three films in the way that Sherlock comes out, three 90-minute episodes that develops and expands on the mythology of the oddest unified multiverse uh, cinema world dimension thing that we have. If you want to add more stuff to what Rob and I talk about in the Cosmic Crossfire, just reach out to us, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Game Source and Humanica Media on Facebook and Twitter, and Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, and Rob McZob on Twitter, and also his backed or busted crowdfunding Facebook page. You want to check out all the great stuff he's doing there as well. Yeah, thanks for all the plugs. RobMcCallumFilms.com. Check it all out today. Awesome indeed. But again, as always, we just truly appreciate you being part of the Cosmic Crossfire. Pew pew, Crossfire! Coming up right after break, we got Anthony Barberin, our man in the know with the NBA. He's talking some NBA trade deadline news and information. This is the PCC Multiverse. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. And we're back. This is Gerald Glasser from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source, and also Inside Sports. We really want to thank you for listening and truly hope you're enjoying the program. Well, it just happened. It's the NBA trade deadline, and there was a lot of player movement, particularly around one team. And here to talk NBA trade deadline with me is my good friend. He is our NBA man in the know. It's Anthony Barberin. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm sitting back, looking at all these trades, analyzing what's going on, enjoying the NBA trade deadline. It's probably the best in sports. And uh, I think this year we got a good show. We did indeed. I, I'll be honest with you. I thought it was going to be a dead one because going into it, it looked like there was going to be a very hard and difficult time for a lot of teams to make those moves because there were not going to be a lot of buyers and there were going to be a ton of sellers. Well, lo and behold, there that you know that kind of came out to fruition, but there was one buyer that was buying and selling galore, and that was the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I guess we've got to start with them. Your thoughts on their trades, and I'll, I'll tell everybody who they got rid of and who they brought in. They got rid of, starting with Dwayne, in separate deals, mind you, Dwayne Wade, Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Channing Fry, and also traded out a first-round pick to the Lakers, and they brought back in 
Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance Jr., Rodney Hood, and George Hill, bringing in some different kind of firepower, a little bit younger in, in most cases, and maybe a little bit better as far as outside shooting and possibly even a little bit better defensively, which has been a major deficit for the Cavs this season. Your thoughts on the Cavs transactions, because as a Lakers fan, I could just say just this simply, thank you very much, Cleveland, for the nice first round draft pick to get rid of two bench players. I love what Cleveland did. I think they realized that they were too old. They were too slow. And I think they also, their players that they had on their roster had a sense of not entitlement, but a, a lack of passion um, and chemistry you, their chemistry was really bad as well their chemistry was bad but i think they had guys who felt like they were at a certain level in their career or who they were and, and that hindered them from playing the game the way they needed to play it in order for that team to be successful and i think they got rid of a lot of those players and the the thing about the guys that they brought in are young guys who are not proven who have been moderately individually successful on other teams and on bad teams and mediocre teams, but now have brought in guys who are hungry to prove that they can do what they did on those teams on a winning team. Well, and and I'll tell you what, that was a great trade, uh, I believe, for Cleveland to get in all those players. Although I, you know, I'm going to say right now again, they did overpay when when it concerns the Lakers because not only did they free up. A lot of cap space the Lakers did when they acquired Isaiah Thomas and Channing Frye. But these were players, Jordan Clarkson especially, that they were desperately trying to get off their contract for the next two years. And they got paid to do so with a first-round draft pick when it was kind of uh, looking like they would have to give up a first-round draft pick to get off of Clarkson's contract. So I think the Lakers did extremely well in, in as far as their future going forward and making sure their options are open, whether they can sign one, two, or even three marquee free agents down the road. All they got to do is somehow manage to get rid of that Luel Dane contract and they can really, really do a number on the free agency market over the next two years. But be that as it may, where do you think with all this new firepower, and in fact, they also got rid of Iman Shumpert as well, right. uh, you know, that experiment as far as him being a nice complimentary player to LeBron has ended. Where do you see the Cleveland Cavaliers now in the East as far as being a major firepower now back to our thoughts and in, in making them above the Boston Celtics and also as well the Toronto Raptors? Or do you still see them behind them when the playoffs come? It looks like schedule-wise, they won't be able to move above them in the standings by the end of the season. It's too late now. But do you still think that they're going to be able to uh, overcome those two when, when it comes to playoff time? I do. I, I honestly never had the other two teams above them in terms of being in the playoffs, even with the old roster that they had. It's what they do. They, they're not concerned with being the number one seed. They're more concerned with playing well, going into the playoffs and having the team that is in a seven game series going to be the better team. But I do think that now for most people, it makes them feel like they're the favorites again. Well, I think they are very competitive now 
in the East. In fact, I do put them now as the slight favorite over Boston and Toronto. I thought I think all three are now closer than ever before as far as one of them overcoming uh, the other and being put out on top. The other major trade I guess that you'd have to talk about is Detroit acquiring Blake Griffin from the Clippers who unfortunately didn't do much else at the trade deadline outside of sign Lou Williams to an outstanding cap-friendly contract. I don't know how he signed for that little, especially the fact that he's almost playing uh, at an all-star level. So, so I ask you your thoughts on the Blake Griffin trade where he goes to Detroit for Avery Bradley, Boban Marinovich, and also as well Tobias Harris and some other stuff. I thought it was a great trade for Detroit in a place where they can't get a free agent and they do need to fill up a new arena very, very quickly with a marquee name. Does it put them into the playoff race? Yeah, it does, but I'm not sure if it's enough. But your thoughts on the Blake Griffin trade? I think for the Clippers, they just wanted to move off that money. And and I think that's for them, that was a a goal accomplished. Yeah, I I think... Uh, Detroit is the definite, in my opinion, a definite winner in that trade. Um, I think they needed and they felt they needed a superstar. And I and I believe that they feel that they have one. That team, I don't think they believe that they are finished building that team. But I think they, they feel now that they have their main piece. And I know Andre Drummond has been basically the focal point of that team. And they realize you can't win with him being the focal point of that team. So now you bring in a Blake Griffin and what you get with him is a guy who's going to get you 20 to 22 points a game. He's going to get you eight to 10 rebounds and he's going to not only get you five assists, but be a facilitator and a playmaker for other players. The one thing about it is that their other piece to that puzzle, Reggie Jackson, he's been injured. So it's going to be interesting to see how they play once Reggie Jackson gets back. But right now, you know, they're playing with Ish Smith, who is a legitimate backup at the at the starting point guard position. But they're going to need to acquire another player, um, really good, you know, all star level player to consider themselves uh, a competitor in the Eastern Conference. Uh, those are some great thoughts indeed. Anthony, I'll tell you what, it's been great having you on speculating on the NBA trade deadline. It's just been great having you aboard. If, if you got any questions for Anthony on the NBA, please feel free to give us a shout-out. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanica Media, GameSource, and Inside Sports on Facebook and Twitter. But we're definitely going to have him back to preview the NBA playoffs. It's going to be right around the corner because there's only about 20 games left. So it's, it's definitely something that we're both excited for, and we're definitely going to see if those trades for Cleveland and all those other players at the NBA trade deadline, they worked out. Anthony, I want to thank you again for being part of the show, and, and just it's always great to have you aboard, and I look forward to talking to you come playoff time. Thanks for having me. Always love coming on. Oh, you know what? Me too, my friend. Just, just great talking NBA and talking the round ball with you. And it's so great again to have you part of the Pop Culture Cosmos and, of course, Inside Sports. Coming up right after the break, we've got Marcus De La Garza from Tripod Sports talking NASCAR. This is the PCC Multiverse. Hey, everyone. It's Rob McCallum, and I'm back with a new series that centers on the world of crowdfunding. I call it Backed or Busted. It's real simple. 
Every week, I take a Shark Tank-like look at live campaigns on Kickstarter and Indiegogo and determine if they should be backed or if they're busted. If they should be backed, then I invest in the project, plunk down real money, and become a backer. If the project doesn't cut it, then it gets no love from me and I label it busted for the entire world to see. In addition, you'll discover amazing new projects, inventive products, creative endeavors, and you'll see what works and what doesn't work in the multi-billion dollar crowdfunding industry that makes turning your dream project into a reality more than possible. So check out Backed or Busted episodes at facebook.com slash backed or busted crowdfunding. And if you want me to help your campaign become truly awesome, send me a message. That's Backed or Busted at facebook.com slash backed or busted crowdfunding. And we're back with the program. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. And also Inside Sports, we truly appreciate you being back with us right here on the show. It's about that time. The Daytona 500 is here. It is NASCAR season once again. And we thought we'd take a little time to take a look at the NASCAR season. And who better to do it with us? Then one of the great guys as part of Tripod Sports, you got to catch their sports show today on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and also tripodsports.com. It's Marcus De La Garza. How are you today? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I am doing very well. And I'll tell you what, as a longtime racing fan from way back when I was a child, Many decades ago, I, I unfortunately, uh, <laughs> yeah, I still remember those days of watching it and turning into uh, Ken Squire on CBS Sports. Every, you know that sun, fateful Sunday morning in February when him and David Hobbs would call the action as they went around the high banks of Daytona and leads you into another great NASCAR season. This, to me, is in 2018 another watershed year for nascar because there was a whole bunch of changes with a lot of teams a lot of familiar faces going to different places but also a lot of new places as well is that correct that is correct we've got a lot of young guys in the sport this year we saw the departure of dale jr uh, after last season took his retirement tour great face for the sport and i'm happy he's going to be in the booth in the second half of the season with nbc but these young guys i mean we've got guys that have been around for a few years now larson Cal Larson, Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, William Byron is new this year. Alex Bowman's new. He filled in a few races for the 88 when Dale Jr. had his concussion issues a couple years ago. But yeah, a lot of new faces. The one that was making a big splash tonight, we had some racing tonight, actually. Bubba Wallace Jr. Absolutely. Uh, taking over in the Richard Petty Motorsports, so the iconic blue number 43. Yes, it is. And the King was out at the track tonight. And after uh, Bubba's performance, the King was pretty happy. Awesome. It's great to see and uh, having more diversity and seeing a lot of great drivers out there from all backgrounds. And it's great to see uh, Daniel Suarez. I, I believe he also made his mark last year. And, and obviously he is, is something to, to, you know, his skills as a driver also have, have proven out very well. And I'd like to see even more of that going forward, but there's a lot of great things going on within NASCAR this season. Like you said, all these great names, these new faces, but also some younger faces as well. Of this group, this new batch, so to speak, which name stands out as someone that people need to keep an eye on this NASCAR season as someone that could you know, maybe be very strong? Or I'm here in Vegas, so you know people love a long shot. So who is that name that people should keep an eye on? 
I'll give you two, actually. William Byron's the first one. He's in the 24 car. Jeff Gordon's old car, but uh, he looked really strong tonight at the duels. He was up in the mix. He was right at the, at the front of the pack there. He was trying to make moves, and he eventually got caught up in a wreck. It's restrictor plate racing. It's going to get dirty. They're close. They're inches but off. That's of why, that's why half the people watch NASCAR. It is. And uh, this is for the new fans, maybe the fans that don't normally watch, this is the perfect race to come watch. You're going to see a lot of action. The aero package this year, these cars are right inches off of each other's bumpers at 200 miles an hour. Approaching that speed of 200 on the back straight and whatnot really gets you that, that adrenaline pumping. And I'll tell you what, it's always great to see the restrictor plate racing and always great to see NASCAR when it comes back into the fold each week on television. With all the new names that you were talking about and all the new names that, that are coming into the, the, the NASCAR realm, there's also some familiar faces out there. Obviously, you know, Jimmy Johnson, Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, you know, so many other names out there that we are familiar with. But who of these big names that are out there, you know, that are, are, are pretty much a given as far as contending for NASCAR's playoff and NASCAR's championship, what names do you think really will stand out with a strong season this year? I mean, I, th I think we see Martin Truex return to form. He dominated last year. I think he won eight races overall throughout the season, including the championship. It's hard to imagine he's going to fall off. He's got a returning crew chief. Most of the, the guys in his crew are all back. The other name you look at is Kyle Busch. It's hard to, to turn down success, and he's had success over the last few years. He won the championship about three years ago. Jimmy Johnson was two years ago. And then, you know, Martin Truex was last year. But uh, on top of that, you don't ever write off Jimmy Johnson either. That's a name that you look at all seven times going to show up and he might make it eight times. So, he can, you know, and, and when it comes down to that playoff, you know, as you and I both know, it comes down to that what last race between four different uh, drivers. It's anyone's race. And the person that, that's sitting in fourth could actually end up winning at that point in time. Right. And that's the that's the beauty of the uh, the playoff system for me. I know that some of the old uh, old timey race fans. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this. And you were talking about watching decades ago, but I like the way the playoffs are set up now. It comes down to one race. I, I do I do as well because you've seen it. Very rarely has a in the old traditional style of the way that they used to race, where someone it, it came down to that last race. Now it, there's a higher possibility of it coming down to that last race, that last turn, which uh, in recent times, I think we saw it once recently in IndyCar, and I think we've also seen it almost in NASCAR as well, where it, it really provides extra tension, that last race in Homestead. Although I would change the playoff races around and, and put maybe a, a Talladega or a Daytona at that last race, but that's just me. Yeah, and I think most Americans that uh, are casual observers of the sport would agree with you. The hardcore fans of the sport would probably uh, riot. I'm sure people would love to see the race around the country. Kevin Harvick, he's a proponent for moving the race away from Homestead and have it cycle around various tracks. I'd have to think that Vegas would be in the mix as one of the contenders there. Uh, and I know, I know they've tried tried to add on other races. Uh, I know the 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 individual who owns the tracks. I know he wields a lot of power NASCAR, and having him get an additional race for Vegas, I think, has been a priority of his because I believe he owns a couple other tracks as well. So. To me, it's just it needs to get away from Homestead because I think Homestead is not a very exciting track for that final race. And I, even if it was on, let's say, Watkins Glen, I think that would be something that's cool because yeah, remember uh, back in the day, it was Riverside was one of the final races of the year. I remember that being on the old racetrack out there. But 
uh, it just needs to seem that little tweak, those little changes. And I think NASCAR can get back that je ne sais quoi that they had, you know, maybe 10 years ago when their, when their sport was really starting to climb up. What do you think yeah. about that? Yeah, I think that that's a interesting strategy. I think a, a road course would be drivers rebelled slightly, but they've got the Charlotte Roval this year. They've uh, turned a actual, you know, oval into a, a road course. And so they'll be doing that at the, uh, during the playoffs, I believe. And, uh, you know, they're starting to mix it up. They're starting to put a few more interesting tracks in the mix. But yeah, there's something needs to be done to really get America to tune back in, you know, at that at that playoff time. Because the NASCAR season is a very long season. People, you know, fade out, I understand, but you want to bring viewers back, you know, at the end there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are some great thoughts indeed. I've got once again Marcus de la Garza from Tripod Sports. You got to check out their awesome show today on iHeartRadio and Apple Podcasts, and also their great site, tripodsports.com. Couple quick questions before I let you go, my friend. Yep. First off, any last thoughts on the NASCAR season and some things that people need to keep an eye on, whether it's a rule change or whether it's a, a team to look out for? Something that maybe people are not actually uh, catching on to quite yet when it comes to NASCAR. Yeah, I mean, we had some big rule uh, rules changes this this off season. We're moving to standardized pit guns. We've seen the impact that's had already. Pit times went from 12 seconds last year. They're up to 16, 17 seconds now. The uh, the race is going to change definitely when pit strategy comes into play, and that happens at a lot of the the, uh, the courses throughout the season. The other thing I'd be looking out for is the new body style in the Chevys. They went to a Camaro ZL1, and that new body style we've seen this week, whether it was at the Clash, which was this past Sunday, the races tonight, and what we'll see at Daytona, that new body style is going to be a handful. Definitely, yeah. I, I agree with you on that. And then, you know, anytime you're dealing with Chevy, as a, I know they were kind of like sliding a little bit when it became to their, you know, competitions between Ford and Toyota, whatnot, but. Now it, it seems to be that Chevy is coming back strong again with that new body type. I can't agree with you more. Uh, I did get to see as far as the results and as far as the overall action going on in the clash. And it looks like at least as far as on the the high banks, the, the ovals, the, the two and a half mile super speedways, that at least Chevy seems to be faring very well uh, within those model types. But I, I wanted to get one last question. Tell us why. They need to go and check out Tripod Sports each and every episode and why Tripod Sports is the place to go for sports information. It's uh, actually myself and two of my my colleagues is the best way to put it now. My best friends. We met at law school. We used to sit around drinking beers and trying to relate what we were learning in school to what we were watching on the field or you know on the course. We watched a lot of golf as well or on the track. And so uh, when you come listen to us, it's like sitting around drinking a beer and hanging with your boys. And you cover all sports, correct? We do. The only thing we don't touch is baseball. We have a very hard no baseball rule. The three <laughs> of us just can't get behind it. Our big shtick is all three of us have ADHD, and baseball is just not not fast enough for us. So I, I understand that. That seems to be, as far as for a younger audience, very hard to get into. It's great to go to a game every now and then and see it live. But then again, you know, most everybody's eating the popcorn. I will say this. If you want to check out everything going on within the sports realm today, you got to catch, again, Tripod Sports on tripodsports.com, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. I just listened to the last couple episodes. I really like the fact of what they were saying as far as LeBron James is concerned. But I won't spoil it for you. You got to check out their latest show, indeed. 
But Marcus, I truly want to thank you for giving us a heads up on the NASCAR season. You or the, any of the guys on the on the crew are welcome back to talk NASCAR basketball because I'm a big, as you can see, an NBA fan right there. And then also uh, anything else you guys want to talk about when it comes to sports or pop culture. Well, I've got one question for you. Yep, yep, yep. Who are you picking for the 500 this uh, weekend? You know, that's always a uh, roll on the dice when you're talking about that. But I think I'm going to go with Alex Bowman. Uh, right. He's performed very strongly. I know winning the poll doesn't mean anything comes to Daytona because, you know, the first time you you get caught in a, a bad draft, there you go by, you'll lose, you know, 20 spaces at the drop of a hat. But I really think that Alex Bowman looks very strong in the old Dale Earnhardt Jr. car. So, uh, and uh, plus the, the Rick Hendrick cars always seem to perform well once they're there. But I think also as well, you got to look out for the entire season. Joey Logano, as far as a NASCAR championship, that's my pick. For me, it's about time. I think it's about time he puts everything together for an entire season. And uh, I think it, come playoff time, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. So, Yeah, I agree with you on that second pick. They, Joey's a force to be reckoned with. He's had a few off years, but he's got that competitive drive. And as much as I don't like him as a driver, I know he's a great driver. Yeah, and same here. I'm, it's not because he's a favorite driver of mine or whatnot. I just see the tools. You, you you see that he's just like he wins regularly, but he never has put all the pieces together for that for that championship season. I think now is the time that he's going to be able to do it together. And um, Joe Gibbs Racing, right? Yeah, I think that's yep. the case. Uh, he he should have the team to put it together. Him or Keslowski, they're always there. And I, I just think it's time for Logano to take it home this year. But that's who I have my money on. But, uh, you know, yours was a great suggestion as well. And, and if anybody out there has any thoughts on the NASCAR season, you just have to give us a, an email, shout us out, popculturecosmos, yahoo.com, or also as well, Tripod Sports. Tell the guys there what you think, what's going on in the NASCAR mm -hmm. realm. So... Pleasure to have you on again, Marcus, and have you a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glass from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I want to thank you again for sticking around and hanging out with us on this great show we've had. I want to thank Rob McCallum, as always, for being in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire. Also, as well, Marcus De La Garza from Tripod Sports. You got to check out their great podcast on Apple Podcast and iHeartRadio. And also as well, Anthony Barberin for giving us an update on everything that went on that was big at the NBA trade deadline. Josh, before we head on out, I want to hear your thoughts on the major game release this week, which was a game that, well, if you're an RPG fan, if you're a fan of Oblivion or Skyrim, something maybe a little bit smaller in scale, but still a lot of fun to play, about 30, 40, 50 hours of it, is Kingdom Come Deliverance. I know you got a chance at the Super BS Gamescast to talk to the developers of Kingdom Come Deliverance. 
What were your thoughts when Brian was talking to them? And then also as well, what are your thoughts on the game itself, Kingdom Come Deliverance, and is it something that people should get? Guy, so when Brian talked to the, to the developer, he he explained it like this. He said that D- Kingdom Come Deliverance is Dungeons and Dragons without the dragons. So it's it's the first kind of game that takes place that follows a historical story arc that uh, you know basically follows two historical characters from the start of their lives to the end of their lives. And that's, you know, that that's that's an interesting concept to me. And it's all very grounded. There's no magic. It's just one of those uh, games where you get to walk around, you go on quests, it's a very dark and, and bloody game, and you get to basically live the life of a, of a blacksmith turned knight. And that's the concept, and it's a very simple concept. But what I admire about this game is that it was a small studio that made such a large-scale game. And, you know, while you're reading the reviews, you hear complaints that, you can't go as far as you'd like, or you you just you hit places in the game where it looks like you should be able to walk farther, but you're just kind of blocked. Or people say there's uh, invisible walls and all that invisible walls, or there's like pixel problems. But the game, it's kind of like I look at games now, like Mass Effect. There are games that improve as you go along, and nothing's going to be perfect at launch. It's Mass Effect uh, Andromeda is a completely different game now than it was when it re- was released. So. I honestly can't wait to get my hands on it. It's uh, I hear it's a thirty-plus hour game, so if you're gonna go into it expecting like to be able to you know cast spells and all that, that's it's not that type of game. It's something to hold you over until Far Cry. And there's a plethora of indie games out there, but as far as major titles go, like this is one that you might want to look into. I think so as well, and I think uh, it is a, a really good sign for a small developer to get this big chance to have the spotlight put on them and on a game that should be, by all intended purposes, it looks like a game worth having and a game worth playing, at least until Far Cry 5 comes around the corner. What are your thoughts on Kingdom Come Deliverance? Have you already stepped into the world there, and have you already given it a try and, and are starting the feeling out process? Or how far into the game are you? Or is it something you're curious about, maybe trying to get into? or something that you really just putting off to the side because it's not the type of game you like. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media, and game source on Facebook and Twitter as well. So Josh, we're heading out for a great weekend. Any last thoughts on this week's show before we head on out? Yeah, um, there's a, a little game, indie game came out on the Nintendo Switch and Xbox One PlayStation 4 this week called Faye. And I don't know if you got a chance to look at it. It's made by EA's indie studio. They made uh, Unraveled. Uh, that came out two or three years ago. But it looks very beautiful. So like, if, if any of you guys have gotten a chance to play it, we would definitely love to hear your thoughts on it. I'm debating whether or not to pick it up, but it looks very cool. Well, if it comes from that same studio, obviously a lot of people should have interest in and definitely uh, is a great sign for those that are looking for a cool little indie game as well, especially with the Nintendo Switch that now is the premier console right now in the marketplace and definitely something that is sorely needed for a system that is definitely going to be the hottest thing around going forward. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC Multiverse. We thank you for listening, and here's hoping you have yourself a great day.
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to another episode of Actor Busted. I'm your host, Rob McCallum, a.k.a. Rob McZob on Twitter. And today we're looking at a video game project called Starmancer over on Kickstarter. Let's jump over and take a look. So this is the first campaign created by Omninux Games, Starmancer, Dwarf Fortress-inspired space station sim. Uh, you clearly got a nice retro aesthetic going on here. Uh, it's inspired by Space Station Sim, as I said. Starmancer is a fun title. They're looking for about 50,000 Canadian, 40,000 US, and right now they're just over half at 20,225. Or if you're on the metric system like me, not that that has anything to do with it, 25,435 of 5305. They have almost 600 backers, 31 days to go. I'm not sure how long this has been out here. I was flagged at this. I said, hey, highlight this campaign. I want to see if it's good or not. Uh, I like it. You like video games. Let's make this happen. So this is a project that Kickstarter loves, which means they're going to get a little bit extra attention through emails, and it's a nice little badge of honor they can wear. But there is no clickable trailer right here. Instead, they moved it down here for some reason. I'm not sure why, but this is where it is. So let's check it out and see what Starmancer is all about.
So that's the trailer for Starmancer, as you can see here, Starmancer Kickstarter trailer. And uh, again, they didn't put it up where it should be, and they did just insert a YouTube link down here, which is, uh, I don't know if it's because they had file format issues or whatnot, but I do want to click on this to come over here. Now, I'm not interested in watching the trailer again, but I want to look at this. So 8,100 views, uh, which tells me a lot. 111, which I've been thumbs up, one thumbs down. Uh, we have a lot of comments. Uh, here that we can actually uh, like learn more. We can actually gain some knowledge, if you will. Looks awesome. Uh, where are the clowns and honker mechas? Very impressive. So there's definitely some good things here. And if we go to the Omnix Games page or channel, you can see that they have 45 uh, people subscribed. So not a ton of subscribers by any means, but they also only have two uploads. Uh, one a month ago and one a day ago. So not bad, I guess, for one day. Let's go back over to Kickstarter and start looking through the campaign page. So you are a Starmancer, a human who has irreversibly fused their brain and body into a machine. I like it, it's like, uh, I don't know, a self-inflicted cyborg. Uh, the core is your physical embodiment, it can be destroyed. Starmancer, you play these games for the stories that you can tell about your stations. We want to place you in a living world that feels tangible and gives your station purpose without restricting your freedom of choice. So, we don't really have an introduction yet uh, about who we are or anything like that. Yet we say, it, it, yet we read, we want to do this. And this almost feels a little rigid uh, in nature as it is. And we want design your own core and persona. So you got these different options that function right here with your base. Uh, we also designed Starman's around the idea of consequences, cause and effect. When something bad happens, it should be because you failed to prevent it. It's not fun when a random dice roll causes your calling to fail. You should be able to learn from your mistakes. I agree, so that's cool. The story, Flee Earth, Upload Consciousness, Damage Arc, uh, Pave the Future. These look like these, uh, these are the kind of key story points each time. Consequences, Mutiny, Pirates, uh, Diplomacy, Keep Your Station. So these are just different scenarios by the sounds of it that can happen as you're playing. Colonists, colonists are lifeblood of station. You're in charge of everything, but it's the colonists who carry out your edicts, keeping them alive, encouraging them to work is the only way that you'll survive. We want colonists to feel like real people. You should at least feel a little sad when a colonist dies. Each colonist has a unique personality type, backstory, and inherent attributes. So that makes sense. Basics, uh, backstory, morale, job, skills, inventory. So they're almost kind of like lemmings. They do things that they're supposed to do uh, that you set up. Interactions, uh, relationships, class system, rumors. They talk to each other, living conditions. Okay. Health. So this is starting to get really deep in, into the game stuff, and that's fine, but it just feels ugh, kind of blah. It doesn't feel like it's 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 laid out well in a, in a digestible way. It just looks like it's almost like a, a game manual pasted here with some attempt to kind of explain these things to someone reading them, but it doesn't really ever talk about the Kickstarter experience. It doesn't try to market the game. It just tells you about the game. Uh the future, a successful Kickstarter will allow us to focus on a number of content expansions. We are going to completely finish and release the core game, but we don't want to stop there. So this is really not about this game. It's about the core expansion. So I would definitely include that somewhere up front because for me to discover it all the way down here, the bottom is not a good spot to do it. Here are some of our ideas. We'll finish one completely before we move to next. Creative mode, building stations fun. We allowed you to build without worrying about resources and keeping colonists alive. Improve relationships, better diseases, war, robots, aliens, yada, yada, yada. Rewards. Okay, so we'll go into rewards in a second. But they do have art for everything. More info. 
We tried to keep this Kickstarter page brief, but you can find more information on our website. Wrongo! It's anything but brief. It's really in-depth and, uh, unfortunately, a little didactic. It's not salesy. It needs to be salesy. This is nice. We have a raw pre-alpha gameplay footage, so this is important to kind of put here. And I'm glad that they did so that you can actually see a little bit more uh, of the game. Let's hit play. So we got a half hour worth, so that's really nice. Risks and challenges. Developing game takes off time. We also still need enough money to stay alive. For bills, food, ah, da, da. Taken together, this means the minimum the game requires 20 grand per person per year. This is where our $40,000 goal, goal comes from. So it looks like there's two people. We can finish our answer in about a year, but without sufficient funding, we won't be able to devote nearly as much time. If we get extra money, we'll be able to hire additional team members. Each team member will cost at least 30000 a year, plus more for taxes and other fees. Additional money will be required for commissioning. Music sound effects. Yes, we'll also need money for advertising. Well, not completely necessary. We'll contribute to the game's long-term success. We've been working on Starmancer full-time for over there. You can view our social media posts to see it for yourself. We are able to consistently post new content every week because we are consistently working every week. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, what do I think about this? So, I didn't even I didn't even step through the video yet, so we'll maybe tackle this together. I thought... Go right up right to the top here. So, I thought this video was okay. Um... We get a lot of different scenes and sequences, but it felt like twice as long as it needed to be. Uh, by the time we got to the, the Defend the Ark protocol, I was kind of bored and done. Now that said, as this happened, it almost had an XCOM-like vibe with their isometric view where aliens and stuff started showing up, like right here specifically. And he just showed up and like slaughtered them. And that was like the first time I was like, oh, yikes, that sucks. That can kind of happen. And then it was like doom and gloom. So I basically crunched this all the way down. And again, when you can include the creators in these videos so that I actually can put a face to a name and want to see who I'm possibly, you know, pledging towards. The explanation of everything here on the page is not brief. It is didactic. It is overwhelming. I'm not saying it's not all necessary or cool to look at because some of these visuals are great and it's nice to see so much art. But it's, it is not a sales pitch. It's more like, here's everything and a look at what we got. Not in full detail, but enough to make you bored and really confusing here and there. Uh, hopefully, it's enough to convince you that we've done a lot of work and that we want to do more work. So, yeah, give us some money. That's what it feels like. It doesn't feel salesy. There's no marketing polish to it. It, it, uh, it just it doesn't, doesn't sell me the way that I should be sold on this stuff. And maybe that's a comment more on the society that we have and where we are with uh, in terms of games being marketed. But it's just... To reality. Let's take a look at the rewards and see what we can learn from that. One dollar, generous. That's great. I like it. I like the one dollar reward. It's always nice. Base game, fifteen bucks. I like it. That is so good. So January twenty nineteen. That's a year away, but for fifteen bucks, it's awesome. And you hear it says PC Max and uh, PC Mac and Linux, which is great. Twenty five bucks. You get name and credits. Name and a colonist pool. Discord access. All previous rewards. So basically, you get name and credits and a few other ones plus the base game beta tester for thirty five. All previous rewards, Starmancer wallpaper, PDF manual, beta access. So PDF manual, I'm guessing that's where they're pulling a lot of this stuff from. 50 bucks, alpha tester, extra digital copy. Uh, $60, design a colonist, all previous rewards. 70 bucks, name a station, sign a sign postcard. And 80 bucks, vault item, extra digital copy. So is that like three since it's saying all previous rewards and there's other ones that are digital copy? Yeah, so you'll get three digital copies. That's nice. So that did work. Uh, 99 bucks, the cheater, name a cheat, all previous rewards. $99, the chief unlimited, create a food recipe, all previous rewards, the scientist, scientist is $100 or a dollar more than the other ones for whatever reason, name a solar system, name the uh, AIs, extra digital copy of Starmancer, so there's four copies total, I'm glad that they're spelling that out, that's really good, 150 add name to in-game monument, name the sun, all previous rewards, 
Uh, the designer, design a mission, all previous rewards, except for limited ones. Uh, the hacker, design a cheat. Didn't we have the cheater one? Or, or it's just name a cheat. Uh, the affluent, you'll feel really good about yourself. Does not include any previous rewards. There's a hundred here. So, uh, I'm not sure why this is here, unless it's just to take advantage of Kickstarter's make a hundred. Uh, let's see if they have that emblem up here. No, they don't. Usually campaigns will have make 100 here to get signified for that, but they don't. So uh, that's just a really quirky one for me. Starmancer, add your consciousness to the game. This is a limited one. Design a colonist, choose a name, select the eye and hair color, provide a brief facts, right? The colonist will have a chance to appear in every game. Cool. That's a good one. Let's count the number of words here because there's a lot. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 rewards. Way too many. Uh, with these ones that are $99, I would probably just make it choose this, choose this, or choose this, and a survey. Don't separate them when they're all essentially the same. They're all limited, and that's fine. It, uh, I don't know, it's just it's just overly complicated to have this much buyer choice. It, it the, the rewards mirror the campaign story and body. There's just a little too much more than needed. It's hard to sell me on these rewards and what to pick uh, because it's just overwhelming. So I would go for the base game if I you know, decide that I believe in this. Uh, let's go to Kick Track and see what we can find over there. Here we are on Kick Track. You can see we're at 21,693. So it's already been updating since we've been recording. Uh, we're at 54% of our gold. We're trending towards 350 plus thousand dollars. And you can see we're only on day two. So there's not going to be a lot of data that we can pull here. Day one, 15,000. Uh, day two, uh, 6,400. So they, they bested their gold day one, as we saw. 407 backers day one, 207 backers currently for today. Not enough to go on for the projection. Not enough to go under for, for the trend. Uh, but this is obviously going fairly well here. We've already checked out YouTube, and here we're back at Kickstarter. Let's take a look at the frequently asked questions since they've actually been populated. When will Alpha Beta be released? Uh, two months after the end of Kickstarter, Beta 3 to 6. That's great. Can I record Alpha Beta footage? Yep, we can do that. What language Starman's support? We're not sure. Uh, what platforms will be on? We'll release on PC, Mac, and Linux. We have no plans for other platforms at this time. Eventually, a long time from now, we might port to another system. That would be cool. Will Starmancer be on Steam? Yes, we'll be submitting Steam. If it's not accepted, unlikely, we'll seek other platforms. So, Steam release. If not, you're getting it Mac, PC, and whatnot. Let's look at the comments. Uh, the, the title made me click. The concept made me pledge. I'm really looking forward to this. So, yeah, the title is good. The concept is decent. Uh, it uh, is good. Oh, so congrats on making the halfway point. But if there's enough interest, we'll definitely submit our game to GOG. There will be stretch goals just waiting to get funded before we announce them. So that was three hours ago. So we're not quite there yet. Um, getting there, though. Getting there, which is nice. So uh, why is this not refreshing? Oh, well, it is. It's just converting. Crazy me. Uh, lots of comments. So thank you for comments. Will the game be for real turn base? will be real time. Oh, so that's interesting. Will there be a demo? It's possible, unlikely. Multiple levels, floors, multiple floors are not yet implemented. We have interest of adding them, or at least trying to add them at some point. So that's cool. Uh, anyone who previously selected the sixty dollars tier, there was an error in shipping price. The correct amount should have been zero. Please select this new sixty dollars reward tier, so you won't get the shipping price. Interesting. Hopefully that went over well. And then basically just a lot of nice comments coming in, which is nice for two days. And let's take a look at the community for six hundred nineteen backers. We have nothing yet because it's too early in the game. Oh, here we go. 
554 returning back to 65 new so only 10 percent are new people but that's still not bad i take that in campaign if i got 10 percent new people coming to kickstarter that's awesome that's everybody doing their part half of the campaign is coming from the u.s everybody else is coming from the rest of the world so it's a 50 50 game which is nice uh, top city is london in the uk followed by la and sydney uh so i guess that leaves us to our decision is this something worth backing or is this campaign busted? So let's go over it again. One well, no video here, not a big deal. It's not something I would give points for uh, just because they put it here. So I think that's definitely a, a flaw. The, the trailer was twice as long as it needed to be, but the trailer content was good itself. And it actually made me interested in playing the game. The campaign itself was way too didactic and, and overflowing with information that didn't necessarily sell me or, or lead me in a direction that it needed to lead me. There were far too many rewards. Um, Again, it was very much designed like the other side of the page. Uh, and there's just not enough information on, on KickTrack to really make a decision yet. This is pretty early on. Obviously, they're doing well. They're at half their goal already, 54% as Kickstarter uh, reporter or KickTrack reporter. There are 619 backers. So it's of interest to enough people. Uh, do I want to check this out? Yeah, you know what? So I'm actually going to say that I'm going to back this campaign. Okay, so there we have it. I back Starmancer, and uh, it's been a privilege to look at it. That doesn't mean the campaign is perfect, but there's enough there that I like. They could do so much more with this campaign, though, uh, and I will definitely be reaching out to the creators to see if this video helps them at all. Thanks for watching, guys, and if you have a campaign you'd like me to highlight or you want me to help you with your campaign, hit me up at crowdfundingspectacular99 at gmail.com or on Twitter, at Rob McZob. Here to help as always. Thanks for watching, and until next time, guys, cheers. Cheers.